Hello, and welcome to day 10 of the 21 day weight loss challenge. Today, I really wanted to speak to you about how stress can affect our weight and what can you do about it? So I'm going to give you some general overviews. First of all, how stress affects our physiology, and then we can start understanding some of the things that we can actually do to manage stress so we don't have such an impact on our weight. So first of all, when we think about weight gain and we just think of calories. So the really important thing to understand is there's a very complex issue. Calories obviously is at the heart of weight gain. We have to have a calorie surplus in order to gain weight. But why do we do that? Why do some people gain weight more rapidly than others? Some struggle more than others to lose weight? What is all this interplay? So part of it, I think, is stress. Stress is such an under appreciated factor in so many parts of our lives, hypertension, heart disease risk, messing with our sleep, weight gain. Um, just again, just our mental health component of with stress is it's so underestimated. We don't even think about it. And then we stress about the stress. So let's jump into what's happening in our bodies when we look at stress it correlated with weight gain. First of all, you have hormonal changes, right? So that includes cortisol release, which leads to um, a hormone. It's right away, cortisol is released by adrenal glands. And cortisol is known as the stress hormone. So it does respond to stress. And as we go down further through the list here, we'll speak to cortisol and what it's actually doing in the body. First of all, the first thing we need to think about with cortisol increases appetite and cravings, right? And so we in particular, we're searching our brain. Our caveman brain is looking for those high calorie, high sugar, ultra processed foods. And those are the first things we think about are the potato chips, the sodas, the cookies, the ice cream, the baked goods that aren't healthy for us. And they can pack on the weight very quickly. Because remember, these foods are engineered. Food companies spend many, many millions of dollars and high ex higher experts called food scientists to really look at the quality of the food and the experience of consuming the food and try to think of ways to make you eat more in a shorter period of time. So again, that's probably a video all in and of its own. And then we look at cortisol also can affect your fat storage, right? So it tends to promote fat um, deposits, especially in the visceral fat, which you've heard me speak about before, which is really the fat around the organs and the abdomen, which can cause increased inflammation. Really interesting. If you look about the visceral fat, even around the heart, for example, that can increase your risk for a heart attack because of the increased inflammation. So the visceral fat is a really serious thing that we need to consider when we think about stress and the hormonal interplays with our body and how different things are occurring inside. We think it's just mental, but it really isn't. It's the mind and the body need to be considered one unit. It's I almost hate the word you, to use the word mind and body because really it'd be like saying, oh, this finger is the finger and the hand. Like the finger is just part of the hand. The same thing for your mind. The mind is just part of this this whole unit of you as a human. So well, this is a great segue into the psychological factors, right? <clears throat> Stress can enter, or excuse me, trigger emotional eating um, as a coping mechanism. People under stress may turn to food for comfort, 
using it as a way to relieve negative emotions or as a form of distraction. On the podcast, there's a series that I've interviewed with a good friend of mine, Catherine Van Tassel, who's an expert in food addiction and really understanding the nuances of food addiction and what that looks like, because it's not really a recognized addiction per se, because we have to eat. It's an accepted form of eating to eat certain types of foods because they're available everywhere. But when it starts derailing our health or really interfering with our daily lives, we may need to consider that and label that as uh, addiction, right? And maybe we need to put more resources in from a medical standpoint to help you overcome it. And then also with the psychological factors is disrupting your eating patterns, right? So this can lead to irregular eating habits, such as skipping meals, binge eating, late night eating, eating in the middle of the night if you wake up stressed. Of course, we know that those things alone can help um, promote weight gain. We also have an issue with metabolic rate. So chronic stress can sometimes slow down your metabolic rate. Um, The body's natural response to too stressed to conserve energy, decrease the number of calories burned at rest, sleep disturbances, so sleep quality and duration. So stress can also often lead to sleep disturbances, including difficulty falling asleep and staying asleep. Nothing's worse than getting a few hours of sleep and then waking up at 2 a.m. wide awake, stressed about something that's either occurred in the past or going to particularly happen in you know that day or future or worrying about your family your job, your, the world in and of itself, so many things that we can worry about. And so many of these things don't actually ever truly happen. So there are some things and strategies that I'll recommend later that might be very helpful for you dealing with kind of these troublesome thoughts that you just can't seem to get out of your head. I have some ideas for you. And then we look at behavioral changes, right? So high stress levels may lead to decreased physical activity. People just rather just veg out, become mindless, turn on the television, eat some food. Um, So that's an issue. So we're not expending as much energy as we typically would. We're not exercising because we're not motivated to because we're under so much stress. Then sometimes people turn to other things like alcohol or smoking. So alcohol in of itself can be weight promoting. Smoking, not so much, but smoking obviously has its own (laughs) whole plethora of physical harms that can be associated with including lung cancer, COPD, emphysema, things like that. But alcohol, because of the excess calories, and it's a very strong sleep disruptor. So even though people are thinking, oh, I could just have a few drinks here and there, it's how I unwind at night, that can cause some serious issues with your sleep quality. And actually, by the way, interesting, if you look at alcohol, it can actually worsen hypertension. So if you've been really struggling on getting your numbers better, let's say you're eating a whole food plant-based diet and you just can't see how you can get these, these numbers down, maybe we should reflect on how much consuming, how much alcohol we're consuming. And um, the other thing is gut health, right? So of course we all are aware that microbiome is quite the topic these days. And I think there's so much more that we have yet to learn. But what we have been learning is it's so remarkable how the gut is really kind of the forefront of our health, right? So it's the first thing we that's in touch with the food that we consume, but there's so many hormones that are created in the gut. And so the valuable gut microbiota is such an important piece of things that we need to understand. So 
Anyway, so stress is showing, or emerging science is showing that stress can alter the gut microbiome's composition, um, which can impact digestion, the, your nutrient absorption, and just regulation of body weight. Interesting studies if you had fecal transplants, yes, I said fecal transplants from people who are thin, have more leaner muscle, more lean muscle mass, lower body fat uh, percentage. When they transplanted the this fecal transplant into those who are obese, they improved their insulin resistance and lost weight. So again, there's so many things that we don't understand, but the gut microbiome is such a key to so many aspects of our health, inflammation, uh, risk for autoimmune disease. And of course the digestion, absorption of nutrients, our mood, um, and just so many, many things are, it's just beyond something I can cover here. Um, but now, well, what should we do? So what are the, some of the things that I'd recommend to be dealing with stress to help with weight? Remember, my approach to this whole 21-day um, weight loss challenge is pulling out many different aspects of health and help you think about it differently. And when we think about things differently, we see things differently, we interact with them differently, we, in, we develop new opinions and thoughts and beliefs which may lead us down a different pathway. So if you keep doing the same things over and over again, you're not going to get a different result, right? You're, you can only expect what you did in the past. So when we start approaching things differently, thinking outside the box, trying new things, this is when it gets really exciting because when we're using curiosity, we're kind of experimenting, we're seeing what works for yourself because each person's a little bit different. And then that allows us the valuable feedback opportunity to really see what's shifting for us and then hone in on that. If something's working, go all in and see what happens. So when we think about what we can actually do for stress, there's a few different things. The one I wrote about in the PDF is really something as simple as yoga. So my husband bought, my, bought me a uh, three-month pass for our local yoga uh, studio here. And I went for the first time and it was absolutely lovely. I've done yoga in the past, but it's been a while. But it was fantastic and I absolutely loved it and I'm excited to return. And it's really important that you schedule time to do these type of things. And I almost feel guilty sometimes. I'm like, you know, if I am not working, I feel like I'm, I don't know. It's just, I struggle with that. I, I tend to be a bit of a workaholic. That is where honestly I need to work on is taking time to sit back and know that it's okay not to do something that's always productive for patients or business or whatever. But yoga was a great time because I feel like I'm, it's healthy, but it's also such a decompressor. But you can do different things. You can choose a yoga class and you can attend a local studio. You could do a free YouTube video, lots of ways. You know, make sure you prepare your space, make sure you have nice, comfortable space, um, either a blanket or a rug or a mat you know, select the style. There's tons of different ways of promoting or doing yoga. I'm by far no expert in yoga, but there's certainly, there's restorative yoga. There's the types of yoga that make you feel like you're a pretzel. <laughs> so wherever that is in that spectrum for you that you would find enjoyable, check it out. And, you know, really engage fully. When you think about it, you want to be mindful, really focus on your breath and really listening and enjoying the movement. And then at the end, reflect on your experience. How was it? Is it something you'd want to continue doing? Did you find that it was actually beneficial? So something else that I really want to uh, speak to, of course, is 
a few other things that I think might be very beneficial for you as far as dealing with stress. And I finally got it today. And I've mentioned this a few different times, but the book is called Opening Up by Writing It Down. So this is about expressive writing. It's by James Pennebaker and Joshua Smith, both PhDs. Uh, Dr. Pennebaker is at the University of Austin at Texas, still providing research. He's been doing this for a long time. But when you look at expressive writing, it's really interesting. Think of it as preventive maintenance with stress. So if you're having a troubling thought or just kind of ruminating over something, it might be a good way to approach dealing with it because it helps the mind kind of complete a closure loop, if you can think of it that way. It helps you assimilate it and understand the complexity of the emotions that you might be dealing with this troublesome thought or event. And then when you when you write it out, it makes it real, it makes it tangible and easier to understand and count, comprehend. So what they recommend is writing four days um, for 15 minutes at least, continuous writing. And you can do this on four consecutive days. It can be one day a week for a month, um, but on average, when you look at the studies, you want to have this done within 30 days or so. And it should, it could be the same topic. Most of the time, that's going to be the same topic because what they found is on the first date when people write, they're very stressed. It's like they're writing down the facts. You want to write down the emotions that you're having uh, then and the emotions that you're having now. And then anything else that might pop up, maybe it's a person or another situation related to that experience. But what they found is you have more negative word associations when you first start writing. But then over the course of four days, those who move to a more positive are creating a different story or actually just stating their story of the events that happen and see a more positive outcome. They're changing their thoughts about it or maybe their perception. They actually have benefits to mental health and physical health. Now, of course, this isn't a panacea, just like anything, it has its limitations, but I think it can be very, very helpful for someone who's dealing with maybe grief or a stressful event, and they just can't seem to figure out what to do about it, or if they don't feel like they have someone that they can confide in, because this writing is just for your eyes only. It's not meant to be for someone else, because if we mentally say, oh, I'm going to show this to my spouse or my best friend, then you're going to write and frame it in a way that you're going to present it to someone so that you can not have necessarily the social implications of writing something that someone might take um, disagreement with or reflect negatively about it. So that's the opportunity there. And there's an, one other thing I'd like to rec recommend, heaven forbid, is what to say when you talk to yourself. There's a Dr. Shad Helmstetter who I really adore. I interviewed him for a hypertension summit that I'm doing uh, yesterday, and we spoke again. And I, I just always am happy whenever I get a chance to speak to certain people. And he's one of them. Like you leave a happier human. <laughs> so the book is what to, what to say when you talk to yourself, but also there is an app. It's called Self Talk Plus. And what's happening here is a really fun story. So he comes from a language background. He's a PhD and his history was um, thinking about language and the, the brain, right? And how that functions but then when we look at actual language also, and especially when we're small, where it's almost think of it as a program, right? So we learn not only the language that we're speaking, our culture we're learning, there's other things that we're learning as far as language on how we speak to one another, what our expectations are, 
um, you know, what are the things that are, mm, what's the other word I'm looking for besides our expectations, but things that are okay and not okay in your culture, uh, religious beliefs, political beliefs, how, you know, certain roles, gender roles are set in a family. What is, again, okay it varies from culture to culture, even honestly, city to city, state to state. If you live in the United States and have traveled around the United States, you will notice there is significant changes as you go from region to region in different parts of the state versus rural versus urban. So anyway, that just to show that we actually learn this language of how we speak to ourselves, this internal dialogue, the chatter that's occurring inside of our head. So <clears throat> some people are naturally a bit more optimistic. Now, is this genetic or is this um, raised in their environment? It's hard to say, but we can absolutely change the chatter or the, dis the discussion, this internal discussions going in our head. And his story is this really very interesting. So he had some significant weight to lose at some point in his life several decades ago. He's been doing this for, he said, 40, 50, 50 years. Older gentleman, amazing. Again, I love the wisdom that you can glean from folks. But anyway, he needed to lose some weight. And so what he started doing was thinking about how do we incorporate language when we're children? We just hear it spoken. We don't go to school to learn a language. We learn the language by looking at the people around us, those who are influencing us, who are speaking to us. That's how we learn our native tongue. And that's also how we learn all these other things. So he's like, well, what if I started playing different types of verbiage or words or phrases in the background for 10 to 15 minutes a day and just let it play, not necessarily pay attention to it and continue doing other things. So he recorded some very positive affirmations. I am healthy. I am in control of what I'm eating. I exercise every day. And these, remember, I've done videos before on the really important factor of saying, I am and being very respectful of how you utilize those words. Because if you say, I am anxious, I am weak, I am frightened, I am uh, clumsy, all of these things have your brains going, okay, if that's what you're saying, I am, it doesn't care if it's negative or positive, it's going to do what you say. But if you say, I am healthy, I eat healthy foods. I'm in control of my thoughts every day. I am, I am, I am, right? So again, I just wanted to reflect back on that. But what he started doing was he started, he recorded these phrases and he played them in the background as he was literally shaving every morning. And he said over the course of 10 weeks, he lost 58 pounds. Let that sink in. Over 10 weeks, just listening to a tape, playing in the background as he was shaving his face, he lost 58 pounds. He said, I changed nothing else. I didn't focus in on anything else. I didn't do a particular diet. He goes, I just started talking to myself differently. And I'm going to tell you that probably led to different decisions on his activities and behaviors. He goes, but the really remarkable thing that got to me was that my wife, who was next to me, you know, there's a vanity sinks there, was putting on her makeup every day, lost 25 pounds in the same period. He said that was astounding. And that was the aha moment that this will work for many people. And so, again, you can take this, um, read the book. The app is uh, Self Talk Plus. It's fantastic. I've utilized it. I You literally do start thinking in different terms. I mean, I'm a pretty optimistic person already, but this made 
me even more optimistic. But it has all sorts of different things. It has uh, recordings for kiddos. It has recordings for men, for women, um, weight loss, being healthier, finances, all the things that we struggle with. So those are the things there. I definitely check out self-talk plus and then with the writing journal again you guys can check out you can download the free pdf that i have at drmarbus.com but and today i really want you to reflect on a few things and remember i want to remind you i think it's so important to journal because it's the time that we set aside to just sit back and let our minds think <laughs> sit back don't worry about anything else you know do it in a place that's calm and quiet and allow your brain to just reflect and be bored for a moment. And maybe it's not even boredom at this point, but just not feel like you have to be busy. Trust me, I know this hard because I really struggle with this. Um, but anyway, so today's reflection, some prompts are initial impressions. So, you know, we kind of were talking about yoga, but you could do anything. You know, what are your thoughts and feelings before starting yoga or before doing the writing exercises were you skeptical, skeptical, <laughs> excited, or indifferent? You just didn't care. What about during the session? How did you feel? Did you, let's say if you do the writing session, did you feel sad afterwards? Apparently that can occur for a few hours. So I've been wanting to do this writing, but honestly, I'm the part that's where I'm struggling is I'm a big fan of preparing, <laughs> not, not interfering with other things. If I feel sad for two hours, I'm like, where in my day? Can I feel sad for two hours? Because I don't want to go to bed feeling stressed. I don't necessarily have time for this during the day. I don't want to ruin my weekend. <laughs> so that's where I'm at right now. That's This is my mental challenge. And maybe that's a mental block from knowing something I should be writing about. I digress. But um, post-session reflection. How do you feel afterwards? Where do you feel like there was some growth opportunities? What was your mood, your physical energy, any sensations occurring internally? And then... You know, compare with other techniques. How did yoga do with the writing versus self-talk? You know, all these different things that you can think of to help deal with your stress. And, you know, future years, what will you plan on doing? What will be helpful for you in the future? So taking that all in, that is the deeper dive into stress and understanding how it can affect your weight. There's the mind is connected to your body. There's going to be physiologic changes that occur based on thoughts and hormones and all these other things that can lead to lack of sleep, different behaviors, lack of exercise, eating or choosing different foods, our interactions with other people. Again, that is such an important piece here to understand. I've seen blood pressures improve or excuse me, worsen with stress. I've seen blood sugars go up with stress. Um, even in myself, just very quickly, I had worn a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, and I teach a glucose mastermind class. And um, one evening, I hadn't eaten in three hours before I went to bed. So three hours. So that means my blood sugar was okay. It was lower, less than 100. I watched uh, a movie about World War II. And I got, you know, interested in it. I love World War II history. I kind of got a little stressed about it. <laughs> Not stressed, but like, you know, you're into the movies. I like, wow, this is amazing. Um just the emotions and the, how they overcame and all the struggles. I went to bed. I'm a very vivid dreamer. Like I remember dreams. Like I woke up at midnight and I had like almost sweat. I was like really serious dream about World War II battles and everything. 
and I happened to look at my blood sugar and my blood sugar had trended from under 100 up to 120 to the time that I woke up and then it dropped really quickly. And I shared this with the group and I had never had blood sugars above 100 or even typically 90 while I'm sleeping. And I was just so overwhelmed by seeing that response of stress while, while dreaming. <laughs> so it also speaks to really thinking about how your nighttime routine is doing, because if um, that can cause your blood sugar to go up, it's going to definitely affect your quality of sleep. But anyway, thought I'd share that with you because whoa, who knew a little document or not wasn't a documentary, a movie about World War II can affect your sleep and your blood sugar, even in a non-diabetic. 